Welcome to the Built and Beyond podcast. This is where we share trends and knowledge and cool tools that just might help take some bricks off your back. If you're looking for insight into the built and natural environment, and well, beyond, this is the place. If you're in the federal space and want to drive innovation, we have some thoughts. Transportation, asset management, water infrastructure concerns keeping you up at night? We have guests who will talk about that too. We're all in this together, so let's get to it. Welcome. I am Justin Jones, Senior Vice President of Business Development Strategy for Atkins in the United States. And joining me today as Atkins Resiliency Director is Mashoud Jaffrey. Welcome, Mashoud. Thank you, Justin. Thank you for having me on this podcast. Today, we're talking about how we are helping clients manage carbon emissions for the built environment, and more specifically, the existing buildings they own, operate, or manage. How do they make them sustainable, resilient, equitable, and energy efficient throughout their life cycle? To do that, we're making carbon visible through data and technology, and then creating a roadmap to help clients reach their carbon net zero goals. Mashuda, I mean, there's pretty big statements there. Um, it would be good, I think, at this point to just provide a bit more detail um, on what that actually means. No, th- thank you, Justin, and and I'll I'll take a quick thirty seconds to give you a little bit of a background on me and uh, and 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 why this topic is is of interest to uh, to our business uh, in general and to me in particular. Um, I've been with the business about 15 years. I think next uh, uh, next month will be my 15th anniversary with with, with Atkins, and I've seen our business have been in, interested in these sustainable practices since the very get go. I, I joined the business back in 2007, so it is not something new for us. Uh, as as you may remember, uh, back in 2010, I think we had a great focus on on carbon based design, so we could design carbon out of our our systems and uh, and take engineering practices to the next level uh, with sustainability and resiliency embedded in it uh, so what we see here you know today in the in the world of decarbonomics i think is a sort of as a combination of two terms here uh, decarbonization uh, plus economics uh, and uh, and and they both both go hand in hand i'm sure we we want to tackle the carbon challenge for the world in terms of climate change uh, change and uh, and the impact of it uh, but we can only do it uh, sustainably uh, if we can also contain the cost of, of that change so decarbonization plus economics of it together makes a lot of sense and hence the term decarbonomics i'm not sure if you've heard you know other terms like these in the industry, but I think this is this is something very unique and, and perhaps does pinpoint the the challenge both in terms of uh, carbon and cost together. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. Um, we're touching base not just on our social responsibility with the decarbonization, but also on on how it effectively and economically impacts our clients. Uh, ben, you know, beneficially impacts our clients. When we employ the methodology that we've uh, that we've developed, so um, appreciate you going into that, Mashud. Some of the questions that I've, I've had from our clients uh, on this particular topic, particularly those with large estate portfolios, is really how can I compare the buildings within my portfolio to figure out which ones are the great have the greatest need? Any suggestions on that? 
Yeah, great question. I guess uh, that sort of applies to any client that we have out there. In fact, most of you who are listening, you must be sitting in a in a building somewhere, whether it's an office building or home building. So uh, first and foremost, to understand what the challenge is and how do we break it down and how does building comparison and all that comes into, uh, into the scenario. Uh, net zero is a big challenge and a big contributor to emissions are buildings. And most of the buildings, about 80% or so of those that will exist in 2050 have already been built. So it is not about building new buildings with better performance. It's about re- improving the performance of existing buildings. So that is that is a key differentiator. And buildings, as we all know, exist in all different shapes, size, complexity, different materials. You know, some are more architecturally appealing, some are more efficiency driven. Uh, and uh, some are more clustered, taller, you know, in urban space, and and also some maybe more touristic. So h- how do we know, you know, which building is performing better versus another? So if you're a client who owns, you know, a building portfolio of about 250 or so buildings, uh, or let's say 20 buildings, it doesn't matter how many you, you, you own, I guess the, the question is, how do you know how your buildings are performing in line with your GHG emissions? And that is something more done on, you know, on an ad hoc basis. Uh, there is little or no modeling to it. So what we as Atkins have done, have developed a data-driven practice, which model the building, understand its current carbon emissions, make it visible so you know where the carbon exists, be able to then compare it with other buildings of similar type, and see how they are performing and develop an intervention plan so you can go address your carbon challenge. As we have said before, decarbonomics is not about just decarbonization, but also about the economics of it. So understanding what is the cost of decarbonization and what are the benefits of it is is also the key. So for most of our clients, uh, it is a challenge to be able to pick up a building out of their portfolio and compare to another one of a similar type and see how they both against uh, each other. And also, if you're a client who has, let's say, a, a 50 odd buildings out there and you're thinking of consolidating your, your building portfolio, as we have seen since COVID-19, the impact uh, that most of the, the businesses out there have been trying to optimize their you know, corporate real estate. Uh, and decarbonization should be part of it. You should be thinking about efficiency as well as deficiency in those buildings. So one of the challenges that we see with our clients is not being able to factor decarbonization as part of their decision-making process. So so this service that we have provided as decarbonomics enable our clients, uh, regardless of how many buildings you, you own and, and in what part of the world, uh, we could create a benchmark of those buildings in our very clever database, uh, which provides an idea of how does your portfolio performs today and where your decarbonization goals are and how you could optimize your portfolio to keep the buildings that you want to keep and improve the buildings that you want to improve. So this gives you a, a data-driven system and a process to, to manage your overall asset uh, carbon cycle or asset you know, health cycle in terms of GHG emissions. Yeah, I like that. So, so the data-driven decision making is very important to prioritize the portfolio on on improvements there, Mashud. 
Absolutely it is, and and, and that has been part of the challenge that uh, most of our clients, uh, while they do provide ad hoc interventions, they go out and fixing, changing LEDs, you know, changing HVAC systems, and, you know, improving their window performances, uh, but perhaps it's being done on a random basis. If you take more strategic approach, a more asset-based approach uh, using decarbonomics, it could help make one plus one equals three. And and that's the you know that's the game changer because while you're still planning to improve your buildings, you're still planning to do your retrofitting. It is strategizing it to the extent that you are in control of that process uh, over the long run of the asset. And I think that's obviously one benefit there, Masood. Right? Is is of the database that that Atkins has um, spans geographical boundaries, climate boundaries, social boundaries as well. So so it allows us to make that those those respective decisions um, across the globe and bring in the best lessons learned from each of the regions. I'm glad you pointed that out. I think that's one of the anxiety that our clients have is how do you collect that data, right? And because collecting data is a very intensive process and most of the people would, would consider you know, it's an investment up front. Uh, I would like to point that out, that we have done that hard work for our clients. Uh, we've invested over three years of time in collecting that data from all over the world, building a database which could model most of the buildings, if not all, of various age types, you know, material types and uh, and sizes. So rather than going out and developing it from scratch, what our clients could do, they can provide us some very basic building information, like how big uh, your, you know, overall your square footage area, how many levels, uh, when was it built, what sort of materials were in use. If you have design drawings, great. If not, that doesn't make a difference. So we, we take that very basic information through a form, plant that in our database, that pulls up the most relevant benchmark available in a closer to that building. We could use that benchmark to auto-populate most of the information required to build the model, and that gives you a starting point. So that is called our step one in the process, benchmarking. And it could be done relatively quickly because we already have collected a lot of data from the publicly available sources as well as of our own data, uh, and we have created methods and calculations which can model a building of a type you know, that is close to our benchmark models. If the data doesn't exist, it's also an important point that you as a client would know what gaps you have in your data. So you can actually augment those gaps and develop you know, your plan further. So data is everything, as you know, in, in, in planning these uh, these models. And, and there's a little bit of machine learning involved in this. So that helps augment the data which doesn't exist and where the gaps are, are apparent. So you can make plan investment decisions. That's good, and, and and that actually brings me to um, it's a good segue to my my next question that I often get from clients, um, particularly clients that have a, a vision of what their net zero achievement is uh, or the KPIs around that, uh, but have budgets. So so with a limited budget, often I get asked, where should I spend my money to get the best return? Do you have any advice on that? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question, um, uh, and I'm sure everybody who's, who's part of capital planning and capital efficiency type discussions would want to know how we're going to invest the money that is coming through grants and supports and maybe your own investment 
and and are you getting the bang for the buck? So that challenge exists regardless of what size of of business you are and where you sit in in the global space. Uh, so let let's start. You know, uh, you you you're either a client who is concerned about your carbon footprint because of your reporting requirements and and you want to do the right thing, and, and that would be more about hey, I want to know where I stand today in terms of my current GHG emissions for the size of the buildings that we own and manage. Uh, so that's number one. So number two, you want to know is where I want to be over the next two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 year period, and in terms of your decarbonization goals. And the third thing you want to know is how much cost is involved in achieving those goals and over what period. So you can do your capital planning. So if you're a client, who's approaching it from that angle, then decarbonomics as a service will help you develop that capital intervention plan. And then you can budget accordingly to meet your goals and also give you a metric of how you're performing against those investments. So you can understand if you're being capitally efficient or not. So that's one approach. The other approach is you're a client who has set aside budget of X value, and you are discussing what's the most I can get out of this budget to, to be spent this year or the next two years, and also achieves some decarbonization goals, then this again is a service for you because you could plan your roadmap based on the budget you have available and the types of intervention that you should do strategically to both get the most most value out of your 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 money spent at the same time you know you're not going over the budget for what you've already planned for so you're not changing your capital plans uh, but you're also getting the the value for for your money for decarbonization related challenges and this is our step 2 in the process and um you know after you've done your benchmark the next thing as a client uh, or a portfolio manager or a facilities manager or an operations manager you should be thinking about is how am am I going to you know plan the capital and, and and what is my spending plan? So this road mapping exercise creates these what if scenarios that you as a as a manager of the portfolio can then decide, am I going to spend more money or less money, and what am I going to get uh, in terms of carbon efficiency? So once again, the term decarbonization and economics coming into play together. I like that. I like that, especially folks that are developing multi-year capital improvement programs. It allows that long-term look ahead on focus and priority for the funding and the investment. So that's good. Exactly, um, yeah. So then segueing off that again, uh, that obviously you can see the theme here, but um, when we talk about schedules, we talk about multi-year schedules. Uh, when's, when should I schedule the work, first and foremost? And secondly, what other help would I need? What other vendors do I need to do the work? Any any advice on that? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you asked because uh, this is something that our clients are doing already. It is not something that they are planning to do. You're already intervening. You're already making your buildings, you know, perform better. Uh, so so most of this work is already happening. What we're saying is is organizing the effort so you get the most value for your money. So this is not an advice to go and do something new. I think there's there's already a lot of strategies available uh, that uh, the clients are are pursuing. For example, you know you may be thinking about grid decarbonization trends uh, and impacts of 
power procurement. You may already be thinking about you know, improving your building management systems and changing them over. You may be thinking about fabric improvement. You may be thinking about your lighting strategy. You may already be thinking about your HVAC strategies and, and heating and cooling uh, you know, aspects of it and the technologies uh, applicable. As you know, almost about 50% of a building uh, you know, GHG emissions are related to your HVAC systems. So uh, I'm sure the clients are already doing a lot of that. Uh, what is not apparent is the impact of that act that you're doing and how you're procuring those services from your existing vendors or, or your future supply chains, you know. So when you've done your road mapping, and it gives you those very solid what-if scenarios of whether it's capital-driven or whether it's efficiency-driven, the next question is, how do we deliver this, uh, you know, this goal? How do we achieve the goal of decarbonization and the GHG emission reduction? And that that could mean changing your procurement strategies. That could mean changing your procurement specification. That could mean uh, changing the attitude towards, you know, managing managing your portfolio. And that doesn't stop with the client. It actually goes to the supply chain and the contractors involved. And uh, do you want to see whether you're achieving? the targets through the existing supply chain and the service provider that you currently have. If not, then the question may be asked of what needs to change. Uh, maybe your supplier needs to be changed. Maybe you need to to augment them with, with better technologies, better systems, and so forth. So, so that leads to the step three of the process, which is, you know, after you've done your benchmarking, you've done your road mapping, you understand your audit scenarios, now it's about procuring those services and executing and delivering that. Many times um, a client or an owner of the building may be able to do that in-house through your internal you know, facility services uh, teams, uh, but many times you you couldn't. And so managing your supply chain and, 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 and vendors and suppliers in alignment with your future goal is key. And that also helps you understand when your contracts are coming for renewals, when your long-term MSAs are coming to renewals, what new specifications and requirements you have to embed uh, as part of that relet or, or renew of the contract, uh, those things will become apparent. So, so that's my my comment earlier. One plus one equals three goes uh, goes real because now you're getting more out of your supply chain as opposed to just changing an HVAC over. So so that's where uh, the, the the process leads to that delivery of it, and this could be a goal over five-year, 10-year, 20-year period, uh, because as, as we know, net zero is a long long road, and to traverse that road, uh, you've got to plan somewhere with a clear benchmark in head and, and some clear targets to achieve and a strategy to, to deliver them. You know, that's, um, that's really interesting. So it's not just the benefits of, of driving a program to achieve carbon net zero, you know, cost effect effectively, but you're also driving benefits into your vendor procurement program as well to release greater efficiencies in that. So so it's actually a multi-pronged improvement for, for owners and clients there. Absolutely it is, because changing the, the behavior of your supply chain is the hardest thing to achieve because it takes a long time. And, and you as an owner uh, should do your very best in giving your contractors and suppliers and vendors the right information, the right target, the right specifications, uh, so they can do their best. Uh, as we know, a lot of these challenges will be solved by the private industry because they are the ones investing in newer technologies, uh, newer solutions, newer systems, uh, newer processes. So setting up those goals high enough and and keeping that threshold such that uh, you know the supply chain rise up to that challenge is, is really key uh, to to deliver these goals together. As Atkins have been working with a number of agencies in the UK, particularly the government uh, property 
you know agency they have over 250 buildings uh, all over the uk and so understanding each building type the needs of those buildings and uh, as you know some of these could date back 200 years and 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 managing it top down is really the key and and having a central office of command which has full visibility to your portfolio and be able to use that data to drive supply chain decisions. Actually, you know, you, you raise a good point there, Machine. One of the one of the other things we see um, on this is 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 the proof, right? So how do clients know that they're getting closer to achieving their goal? Is the money spent getting the rewards or meeting the expectations that that were set? A any any comments on that? Yeah, I'll say a few words. Uh, number one, it's quite challenging, as you said, you know, that most of the time the money gets spent and the benefits uh, realized or not realized, there is very little metric available uh, to see if you have achieved. If you were to, if, if you were a public client, you may be expected to report some of those grants and funds that you've been spending on, on managing carbon. But how do you prove that what you've spent has also have led to a benefit that can be realized uh, and, and be considered as part of your sustainability goals. So decarbonomics, as I said, is a heavily data-driven. So the calculations uh, and, and, and the black box on which the software is built on is very powerful. So once you do your, your maths based on your current building type and the type of assets, the age of assets, and the efficiency of the asset and, and the type of power that you're using, you would you would see that in terms of the, the utility bill that you receive it, uh, at the end of the month. So once you start changing things over, uh, the easiest thing for people to, to measure is, is, is how much do you pay for your power needs? And, and that has been the metric in the past. And, and for some it worked, for some it didn't. Uh, but what, what decarbonomics does, it take it to the next level. It basically manages and calculates carbon at the you know, at the operational level. So how are you using the the energy? So it's not only just looking at, you know, changing your your carbon needs from a fossil-based source to a, a defossilized source, but but rather also looking at your reduction of energy demand on a building. So while you're moving from a fossil-based uh, power source over to a non-fossilized source, you're also reducing the demand uh, on the source. So it kind of gives you double benefit but in generally, uh, the metrics are only accounting for one of those benefits uh, through cost, but they're not accounting the the benefits through, you know, reduction in demand on those buildings. So I, I think it gives you enhanced uh, metric to, you know, to, to look at your benchmark and see how you're you're achieving against your benchmark, and are you actually narrowing the gap as as you go forward? Good, and I recognise we're we're coming close to our time, so. So I've got one more sort of topic, and it's really, uh, Mashud, as we've gone through this discussion, I, I've written down a a couple of uh, of data of data points that I wanted to just summarize, and then give you the opportunity to add and or reinforce what 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 you think is the key the key driver behind decarbonomics. So so as we've gone through the discussion, Mashud, you mentioned quite correctly a lot of our clients are already doing something. You know whether that's changing out the light bulbs, for example. But what decarbonomics does is it combines the the goal of net zero or decarbonization with the economics or the resulting improved economics uh, from that. It's a data-driven decision-based process, 
which allows us to quantify against global benchmarks, which I think is, is very important. It allows us to develop an investment strategy with built-in lead and lag indicators to ensure focus is on the biggest needle movers, uh, the biggest impact items to allow us to me measure performance against expectations. So it's a proven, it's a proven process based on global global best practices supported by benchmarks with built-in lead, lead and lag indicators that allow us to measure our not only net zero decarbonization performance, but also the efficiency that are driven for it. That's how I, I try to sum it up, uh, Mashoud, but I'd appreciate if, if you add any, uh, any more sort of um, highlights or any more weight to some of those points that you think are the most uh, important uh, I, I think you've got it all uh justin and, and and a great summary you know i probably will use it for uh for the next uh, podcast as well and, and 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 perhaps i would say this you know uh, that and i use this phrase a lot in, in this context is a sheep in wolf's clothing uh you've understood uh, the mechanics are pretty simple, you know. Once uh, there are a couple of areas which which sort of scares people out. Uh, one, data collection. So with benchmarking and and inbuilt data metrics and models, that problem has been softened up quite a lot for most of the clients out there who have a, a portfolio and they want to just build a model outright. So rather than going out collecting all that data. Uh, I, I think that challenge, to a degree, we we have addressed to give you a soft start, you know, uh, right at the get go. Uh, the the second is 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 probably a challenge that, you know, how do I use the system, you know, going forward, because it's been designed and set up in a such simplistic way. And uh, I'm not sure if you've taken a look at some of our um, our user interfaces. Uh, it's all sitting in a Power BI, uh, you know, powered analytics engine which provides you some fantastic visuals great comparisons some good water scenarios uh, in fact leading to planning your work so utilizing the full power of technology and digitization uh, plus the metrics behind carbon calculation i think uh, i think that's that's groundbreaking i think that's fantastic and 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 i see a lot of people talk about you know what should be done how it should be approached well, I guess Atkins have actually made a pretty hefty investment in in developing a solution uh, that never existed before. So I would say this is a a a, a pretty cool thing. And and if you haven't looked at it, uh, I'll also just go take a look, and we'll invite others as well to uh, to 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 look at it. So I would say uh, it is the combination of technology and the knowledge behind and the and the practice behind, you know, the building sector that that makes it unique. Well, sure, I appreciate that, and um, it's been a it's been a great discussion around uh, decarbonomics today. Um, high level, very thought provoking, and I want to uh, to thank you for your time, and thanks to all of you for joining us. If you're interested in learning more about decarbonomics, please check out the show notes uh, for contact and more information, and we would be ha happy to provide more details. With that, thank you all. Um, stay safe and have fun. Thank you, Justin.